Abolition. Abolition. Abolition.
You just heard America, a parody. Before the Civil War, this song served as an unofficial national anthem with lyrics by Theta from The Liberator, written May 3rd, 1839. This performance was presented by the Duchess Anti-Slavery Singers. And after that, you heard the blazing heat of the new Jim Crow by The Shiz. Peace and welcome to Abolition Today, a weekly syndicated online radio program with specific focus on modern slavery as it is practiced through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution and by for-profit prisons worldwide. We air every Sunday, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 6 Central and 4 Pacific. Live streams and archived podcasts are available at abolitiontoday.org. My name is Max Parthas. I'm joined by my co-host, Yusuf Hassan. Peace, Yusuf. Hey, peace and blessings be upon you, Max, and upon all of our listeners across the country and around the world. Amen, brother. The reach is definitely growing. People are listening all over the world. Last week, we introduced the first presidential candidate to run on an abolitionist platform since Abraham Lincoln. His name is Mark Charles, and you should check him out at markcharles2020.com. He is the abolitionist candidate. This week, we're going to cook up some Jim Crow and feed it to the dogs. We also have part two of a message to the people from inside Angola Prison Plantation. But before we get to that, let's check in, as usual, with uh, Yusuf, see how his week has been going and where it's spelled for him, and get his opinion on what we all just heard. Hey, Max. Well, you know. I was supercharged until about three minutes ago. We are in the middle of a really bad thunderstorm, so I've lost power. So I'm going to just, you know, make the best of it as I can from this end, you know, until the power comes back on. We're still going to make this go. But there's a lot of good stuff going on this week, a lot of great phone calls that we had from our comrades, you know, that are currently on the plantation. You know, the brother said, make sure that we mention it as, you know, the last slavery plantation. That's what they say Louisiana State Prison stands for, the last slavery plantation. But the brothers are in good spirits. They have a lot of good information they're going to get out to the people. And, of course, all the other news stories that we have for the week. But overall, I've had a great week, Max. How about you? Oh, man, it's been exciting. Uh, You know, I put out a video earlier today to show the uh, momentum we've had with the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center and how close we are to completion with that. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, but there have been a, quite a few things in the news that have caught my attention. You know, I, I've been noticing some patterns and some connections, especially in this hypocritical society. One is I'm seeing police are either quitting or resigning in protest of, being he- of other police being held accountable. Now, I don't know about anybody else, but I have never heard of a time where police did not enforce any law they were told to enforce, no matter how unjust, including during Jim Crow laws, uh, or ever took a stand for the people. They have always just done the bidding of whatever the state says, and the only time that they seem to want to stand up or stand out is when something is happening to them, when they have to be held accountable for what their fraternity is doing. So that's been uh, interesting to see. Also, uh, I found that I noticed that police have been arresting people based on social media posts. And in contrast, over in Philadelphia, they just had 72 police that were busted and fired for sharing violent and racial social media posts. So there's a two-way street going on here. They're putting us in prison 
they get fired. Right. How about that? You know, and uh, right. How, how about those two police officers down in uh, three police officers down in Wilmington, North Carolina, who got caught basically Man, on the hot mic? Yeah, talking about starting a race war and basically saying, uh, you know, we we try to be an uncensored program. We know the difference between respect and censorship. So we try to be respectful. But when we use a certain word, that's because the word is what was supposed to be used. And they were talking about how they couldn't wait to go out and start killing niggers. That's what three policemen were talking about. And uh, they got busted uh, on camera saying it. Uh, And it was a new police chief down in uh, Wilmington, North Carolina, Shout out to my man, Quiet Storm, who lives up in that way. Uh, mm-hmm. He had just got the job. Literally, he was on a job 24 hours when he got hit in the face with this. And he himself is a black man. So it had to have struck him profoundly hard to know that, okay, these are your employees, bro. <laughs> <laughs> right. You walk in the door, and the first the first order of business is firing police officers. Yeah, talking Someone about the, uh, the morale. Wow, man. So, yeah, but these are the type of people we're dealing with within the police force. So you can't, as a policeman, separate yourself from your fact. You can't separate yourself from the crimes being committed by the system that you're a part of. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this, and you, you made a great point when you said that, you know, that they've always been carrying out these orders. Because when you look at many of these signs from the past, it will say, you know, no blacks allowed or no this, no that. And it will always say right at the bottom of the sign, by order of the police department of whatever, you know, city it was or municipality it was. So this relationship goes back, you know, decades upon decades, you know, hundreds of years, really. Right, all the way back to paddy rollers and slave catchers and fugitive slave right. catchers, you know. At no point did they ever say, you know, we're going to reinvent ourselves. It just seemed like they were a different group over time, but they never were a different group. And even when they started incorporating people of color into the police force, those people of color still had to keep perpetuating the same crimes that their white counterparts were doing, but only now on their own people. Right, so, and yeah, it's I mean, always, hey, I'm just doing my job, man. I'm just doing my job. How many times have we heard that? Just doing know, my job. Man. It's like they can't do math. There's a million policemen. I personally asked many policemen, you know, various questions uh, throughout my travels. One of them that I asked, how many people do you think you've unjustly incarcerated through the course of your career? Most of them don't have a number that they want to give because they can't be sure, blah, blah, blah. But they, I say, well, how many bad tickets or arrests do you do a month? I mean, we feel like, you know, maybe I could have let this person get away. Maybe I shouldn't have did that. Maybe, this is wrong. So, you know, but you did it anyway. And they said one a month. So that's 12 a year. Now multiply that times a million police. <laughs> it's 12 <laughs> million people. You don't have to be buried right. in evil to contribute to evil. <laughs> I mean, so the math is simple, man. But, you know, we're fighting back against that in many ways. One way is what our brother Dennis Thiebaud dropped on us two weeks ago when he came in and showed us the missing link through our legislation legislation efforts, uh, through the example of what New Jersey is doing with vote yes to 145, which means slavery, ending slavery and involuntary servitude in the state of New Jersey. 
So we were aware that there are 24 states that have exception clauses in their state constitution. Some of them are very extreme, like Vermont, and some of them are pretty weird, like Georgia's. But nonetheless, there's 24 of those. With his uh, legislation, what he's doing is putting in anti-slavery language into the state constitutions that don't have any language at all in it. So he's putting in slavery is abolished in the state of New Jersey. And I think that's wonderful. It covers all 50 states now. So anybody out there looking to organize, this is a hell of an opportunity for you to make a difference in your state and start organizing following the models of both New Jersey and Colorado. Uh, you can look them up online. You can reach out to those people there. Or you can go to Amend the 13th New Jersey on Facebook and check them out there. They're looking for assistance. So, yeah, this is a rally cry. We get every state absolutely to take out or put in the proper language. Yeah, because what makes it really unique and what many people don't realize, you know, because I'm in several, you know, Inmate Lives Matter groups. And, you know, many people always posting about the atrocities that are going on in these prisons around the country. And for the most part, the courts will not get involved, and they've used the 13th Amendment as justification for allowing prisons to do that. So once this anti-slavery legislation is added to state constitutions, this opens the door for, you know, those that are in the prison to have you know, legal rep, legal remedies within the courts because they say, okay, now once we've removed that exception clause and we've gotten rid of the or we've added the anti-slavery legislation, now you have to give the people back their Eighth Amendment rights, their Fourteenth Amendment rights, their Fifteenth Amendment rights. So all these rights that they've lost that the courts have been justifying by using the exception clause of the Thirteenth Amendment. Right. Exactly, brother. And not just the 13th Amendment's exception clause, but some of the Jim Crow laws that we'll be talking about today are still being uh, used against people, yes. colored black people in particular. And we're talking about the 10 and 2, 11 and 1 uh, split juries that allow people to be convicted of uh, for life on um, split juries. And in a place like Louisiana or even Oregon, where, which is the other one. A place like that where you know it's a white supremacist stronghold and they state clearly what their intentions are in the Constitution and during the Constitution uh, delegation itself, then uh, it's no denying it, you know? So they sent a lot of people right. to prison for life, and some, many of them have died now, where they had 10 white people uh, on a jury and an all-white jury instead of 12 people. Uh, oh, you know, they make it look good. They bring in one or two black people, but they don't count their uh, rulings during the verdict. So all they need is 10 white people to agree. And a lot of people have lost their freedom behind that. I was talking to one brother. Actually, I put out a video during the week where this one brother explains what happened in his life. If you haven't seen the video, make sure you check it out. It's called uh, Eating Jim Crow, and it's in preparation for tonight's broadcast. So, yeah, Absolutely. man. Another story I wanted to, to bring to people's attention, I know we really can't go into too much detail in, in, in it right now, but those who know about it will know where we're coming from. And that's the Kids for Cash story that happened out in Pennsylvania where a for-profit private prison by the name of Merkel made nearly a billion dollars uh, by incarcerating teenage teenagers throughout the area. And they had these two judges that were involved who – eventually uh, 
pled guilty. They were literally selling children to this for-profit private prison. So for every head that they got into a bed, the government would pay X amount of dollars, and they made as much as a billion dollars doing it. They ended up paying back an $80 million fine, which is a smack on the wrist, ridiculous. I don't know how mm-hmm. they got away with it, but the two judges got 28 years in prison each for accepting bribes as much as $2 million. So they were serving $28 million, I mean, 28, million, 28 years until a few days ago. And they set one of them free out of COVID fears. This dude is a human trafficker, a freaking judge who is selling your babies to a private prison in human trafficking and slavery. And instead of serving his time, he's now out free because they're afraid he's going to get sick of COVID. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, it's so ridiculous. And, yeah, just so we can be clear on the two, the two, it's Mark Chiavarelli was one judge. He's the one that got the 28-year sentence, and the other judge was uh, Michael Conahan. He got 17 mm-hmm. and a half years, you know, both out of Pennsylvania. <laughs> and they said that they accepted a share of $2.8 million from the builder and co-owner of the for-profit detention center. You know, and it's just, you know, and and like I said, in the groups, that's all I'm seeing of how, you know, families are pleading for their loved ones to be able to come home, you know, and people are getting sicker and sicker all over the country in the prisons. And here, this guy, you know, because he's connected, he's coming right home after, you know, the atrocities that he committed. You know, these are crimes against children they committed. Right. At least you know, one of those children is crimes against children. Right, brother. So you know, that upsets me, and I'm sure anybody listening this is upsetting to them too. Uh, I don't know if it's the program that they're using because we talked about this new program they had to determine who gets free now during the COVID epidemic, and how it was a biased uh, program that really pointed more towards white collar white men getting free than anybody else. Well, if it's just decisions somebody's making, it's still screwed up, and it's a slap in all our faces, man. For all the people that are sitting up there rotting in prisons for the most minor offenses, while this guy who was selling children gets to get out. That's crazy. Right. Right. From 2002 to 2006, he earned the nickname The Boss, a closing down a county-owned juvenile detention center and signed a secret agreement to send children to the for-profit facility. Cash. Cash for kids. Selling them off into slavery. Yes. Well, you know, speaking of, (laughs) you know what we should do? Let's go ahead and get into part two of a message to the people from inside Angola prison. And this Absolutely. brother is representing the voices there. He's got a lot to say. You heard a little bit before. You're going to hear much more now. Um, if, grab a notebook and a piece of paper. You might want to write some of this down. Uh, it's definitely worth hearing. We're going to come back on the other side with some commentary and continue the show. You're listening to Abolition Today with Max Parkes and Yusuf Hassan. We'll be right back. Today, the movement is very much focused on the police. It doesn't really address the issues of what happens after you're arrested. 
brothers like you who are caught up in this system for life and, and things like that. Uh, how do how do you feel about that? It's just a matter of educating the people. That's like the majority of brothers that come to Angola be found in a white supremacist uh, state or whatnot where we're 30% of the population, but they got gerrymander uh, laws that's put in place where we cannot get fair representation. And in the fair representation that they call, uh, when these brothers are going out selling out, Oh, and now, right now, we got Jason Williams. He's running, but he's running on a transformative. They're asking for reform and need transform. If you have a system that's built on white supremacists, we're going to always just be putting a band-aid on a problem because cause once you get in a police car, you got a million laws where public defense officers are not publicly properly funding these, these defense officers. Public defense, so the brothers are going there, they don't know their rights, and once they get convicted, they expect to file things and all their rights are suspended for the rest of their life. You got brothers in here, I'm saying innocent. Oh, not every year, the Innocent Project clears this docket out, but the, the stability of us networking and letting the, letting the public know that this is going on, because if it affects Louisiana, it affects every state in here, we're the United States of America, not no Confederate. That's what they wanted to be, and that's what it is. The reality is, until the people raised up and talk these issues out. Like I said, we're living in a new age. We're living in a in a multi-racial society where it don't matter what color you is, if you're poor, you'll find yourself in a, in a situation that you're brown or whatnot. Like they say, the old saying, cold. The, uh, the, the United States catch a cold, a black and poor, they catch, they catch viruses. And right now, we got that same virus floating around. And you go to looking at it, you say it's conspiracy theory, but look, and every negativistical or not, it affects the poor and the less fortunate. But what we got to do, we got communication. We got the ability to put pressure on these officials, these so-called public officials, and to call them out on that. We know Louisiana governor, he's a cat. So everybody said, oh, he's a Catholic, but he's, uh, he's, he's, he's not anti-death bitter. He's, uh, he's a Catholic. How he's allowed to go to uh, Pope uh, Francis and accept his community every Sunday or whenever they have it, but he still support white supremacists or whatnot. You have the Sheriff's Association in Louisiana that have reaped the benefits of housing state inmates. You got more state inmates housed in, this, in, in, in state parishes, jails, than it is housed in the diesel, so DOC facility, and all of them endorsed it. Uh, John Bell, that was so or not. So once he got in a situation where, where the blacks post in Baton Rouge, Shreveport, and New Orleans carried them in, which is black predominant. So we don't understand that when we give these people our vote, we give them an opportunity to do whatever they want to us after we can give us our vote. This guy is on his on on his fourth on his on his on his, on his second term. So that means any agenda that he uh, supposedly had, he would be able to, to carry it out relatively simple. But this is what's in his heart. But that lets you know this wasn't in his heart to these same people endorsing him. So I want to say for all of the brothers that's dead. All the brothers that fell under the 10-2, that's still under the 10-2, this law was enacted almost 200 years ago, and it's still, and it's still being perpetuated because we live in a country that's justice or liberty for all, or whatever you want to say it. They don't have a word, but when you mention justice and liberty, all, uh, liberty and justice for all, whatever they want to say it, when you brainwash our kids and all of these schools singing this anthem, or we're not, you're the truth behind this, but we, this is the land of the free. So how is the land of the free when you create the exceptions? Oh, this is 
white supremacist law, we, we acknowledge you had Clarence Thomas. Clarence Thomas have never ruled on anything remotely close to a black issue. Anything close that he have pulled this out as it's been what it is, even though he sidestepped the, the debate that he have ruled, that the unconstitutionality of the Jim Crow law, where it takes 10 to vote you guilty which is counter to the United States Constitution. In other states, it takes 12 outside of all. So we want to want to put this on that it was still under Jim Crow law, and it was written. The old Negroes or the old blacks or whatever they want to call us or whatnot, they, they didn't record history. That's why it took us a hundred and something years to even be putting this out. Or you had a few people that raised it out. But she murdered brother uh, Corey. That brother, he got it, he got it. Go online and see and follow E-Nation. He's spurting it out or whatnot. So we got traction with it or whatnot. We just need people to pick it up. If you get up every in the morning, if you could just simply, and it's going to be up there, just, just share it. That's simple. Okay, that's busy. You don't need to be in the act, so that's what we're asking. That's what we're asking. I want to say thank you for participating with us on Abolition Today uh, in order to get this message out. And I just want to, for the audience's listening, to clarify what we're talking about with 10 and 2 is in Louisiana, which is the prison capital of the entire world. People were being convicted with only 10 jurors in agreement, uh, 10 and 2. So they didn't even have to count to, which uh, is unconstitutional as the brother has been explaining, and uh, just about a year and a half ago, two years ago, they overturned the 10 and 2 law, but they did not make it retroactive, meaning that all of these people who had been railroaded into prisons with an all-white jury using 10 2 processes still have to sit there rotting to death because there is no retroactivity to this law. Am I wrong or right on that Right now, you're, you're right, but I want to point out right now the Prime Justice Initiative of taking a brother case that was uh, pro se. And the material that we got, man, we, it looks like that the, the documents have been falsified. They claim one, one judge wasn't even much there. But uh, Sister Johnson, the only black justice we have on the bench, despite her attack, Louisiana being 30% black. Well, that one black woman on there that's representing, one black individual that's representing us, and she points out that it should apply to every single individual that, that fell under it. Because it was based on white supremacists, and whenever the, 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 the 1896 uh, Louisiana uh, Convention, Constitutional Convention, they specifically said we're creating it to establish a white supremacist, Louisiana. conclude this by uh, letting the people know that behind enemy lines in traditional former slave plantations that became prisons like Angola and like Parchman Prison in Mississippi that the brothers there are organizing and they're organizing hard and they're not just organizing in any haphazardly 
manner, these brothers and sisters are slavery abolitionists who see what is happening to them as a crime against humanity. And we are all working together to try to see their freedom come into fruition. Because you can't talk about being in the land of the free and the home of the brave with the largest prison population in the history of humanity on planet Earth. Where in places like Louisiana, where you only have roughly a 30% black population, but you have 80% black population in the prisons. These are indicative that this is a racially biased system that focuses primarily on incarcerating people of color and the poor. And you can't fix that. You got to abolish that. You got to free the people. You have to treat it like you would treat slavery in any other part of the world. It's not something you can repair or reform or refix. It's something that needs to be abolished. The people need to be freed. And then once the people are freed, they need support to be able to get back into uh, life in a manner that would allow them to grow and function normally. So, yeah, man, I want to thank you for participating in today's interview, brother. And we'll get this on air this Sunday. We finally got you uh, recorded. You know, we've been trying for weeks now, and we finally got it, man. So thank you for your insights and your efforts, and we are here with you in solidarity. Support their work by donating there. All donations will support 
will work to support their prisoner mail program, organize actions in the community, and other costs. So they would appreciate if you reach out to them. Now, Max, you know we have to deal yes. with this 10 and 2. We have well, to really dig in. Let me say one thing, though. Uh, the music that you heard kind of low in the background, that was a track from mm-hmm. Murder, who he mentioned there, who's down with the movement. And it was a uh, track that he put out as a challenge for freestyle. So we accept, and there was our freestyle. <laughs> so that was C Murder that you heard in the background. I just want to let people know that. Yeah, that was, that was nice. That was nice. And, you know, shout out to C Murder, man. He's not forgotten out here as well. You know, uh, and also, know I that. want to say thank you to the brothers, too. That is a heck of a sacrifice that they made because they are hoping that people will hear what is being talked about in this program tonight to give them some immediate relief, some hope, because they have no hope right now. Uh, It wasn't applied retroactively, so they're stuck there, knowing that from here on, other people may benefit from this being overturned, but for those that are alive and those that are dead, there is still no hope, and we got to find a way to give them hope. All right. Absolutely. Yeah, so Let's let's look at this case. The case was uh, Ramos versus Louisiana. It was decided on April 20th of 2020. And here's some of the information that the Supreme Court of the United States openly admits to knowing knowing about and not taking into consideration with any of the thousands upon thousands of cases that petitioned the court for relief from Louisiana or Oregon prior to this Ramos decision. So the first thing is, Louisiana adopted non-unanimous verdicts for serious crimes in 1898 at a constitutional convention expressly intended to establish the supremacy of the white race and to ensure that African-American juror service would be meaningless. And that was solidified by the United States uh, Supreme Court in a case called Johnson versus Louisiana, that's 406 U.S. 356 in 1972. On that exact same day, they heard a case called Apple-Daca versus Oregon. That's A-P-O-D-A-C-A versus Oregon 406 U.S. 404. Both of these decisions were made in the, on the same day. During the rise of the KKK and efforts to dilute the, the influence of racial, ethnic, and religious minorities on Oregon juries, In 1934, Oregon residents voted to amend the Oregon Constitution to allow for non-unanimous verdicts of 11 to 1 or 10 to 2 in criminal prosecutions. So when it came down to hearing the Ramos versus Louisiana uh, case, the the, uh, court opened up for amicus briefs to be filed. For those who aren't familiar, an amicus brief is, brief is basically someone, it's usually organizations like the ACLU, the Innocence Project, various different uh, criminal defense lawyers, or it could actually be states. And in this case, you had several states who filed amicus briefs saying that they want the Apple DACA decision to be upheld. Oregon filed the brief, and also Utah with I'm going to name the states that filed along with them. Uh, 
Give me one second. So while I'm while I'm looking for that, everyone has to excuse me because I'm dealing with the power outage on my end at the moment. But I'm going to be hey, able to pull it up shortly. Sure. Are you saying that these are states that expressly requested or sought to use Jim Crow 10 and 2 laws in order to prosecute people for life sentences? Absolutely. So this this is what happened. Uh, You have, besides Utah and Oregon, well, Oregon, obviously, because it was their ruling in the Oregon versus Apple DACA, but... Utah filed an abacus brief, and they said shackling, shackling states to unanimous verdicts will hinder their ability to improve criminal justice through experimentation. In other words, it hinders their ability to get more guilty verdicts because they cited 42% of nullified juries, meaning they didn't reach a unanimous verdict. 42% of the cases are because of one or two jurors. So they're saying they can alleviate that by getting rid of that non-unanimous verdict. So we had Utah, Oregon, Alaska, Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, Georgia, Kansas, Nebraska, Oklahoma, South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, West Virginia, and Puerto Rico all joined in with Oregon saying that they wanted the Apple DACA to be upheld, and they also were looking to experiment with non-unanimous verdicts. And then there were states that were against having non-unanimous verdicts. New York filed the amicus brief with California, Illinois, Michigan, Minnesota, Nevada, Vermont, Virginia and DC joining in on their brief, and that's crazy, man. That's yeah, and crazy. And, and just one final point. Here's my issue with the uh, the Ramos decision. As you mentioned when you were speaking to the you know to our comrades, you know the 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 decision is limited to those who are currently within the appellate process. It doesn't cover anyone prior to that. They said that all cases prior to the decision have to be individually decided upon motions to the courts. You know, and basically what what Oregon was saying, well, look, their main argument is, look, we've been doing this for four decades and it's working. Why fix what's not broken? You know, and this, this seems to be sort of like another loophole that the Supreme Court is left in there, that they could have easily said, you know what, this is retroactive. This is retroactive. We see that we made a mistake back in 1972. Here's our opportunity to fix that mistake. But what they did was left everyone to the whims of the courts, and we already know that they're not going to reverse any of these, or if they do, it will be very few that they're going to reverse and so it's just going to tie the courts up when everything is supposed to have, you know, economical relief to the courts. So the easiest way would have just been make it retroactive and get all of these people who have these non-unanimous verdicts back in the courts where they belong so they so it can be dealt with. That's my piece on it, Max. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. And I was uh, also reading the ruling by the judges that came out in April of 2020, where they really mm-hmm. uh, confirmed what we were just talking about a few weeks ago when we focused on the Sixth Amendment being a myth, the myth of the Sixth Amendment. And they say that the Constitution's text and structure clearly indicate that the Sixth Amendment term, trial by an impartial jury, carries with it some meaning about the content and requirements of a jury trial. One such requirement is that a jury must reach a unanimous verdict in order to convict. Juror unanimity emerged as a vital common law right in 14th century England, appeared in the early American state constitutions, and provided the backdrop against which the Sixth Amendment was drafted and ratified. Post-adoption treaties with 19th century American legal treaties confirm this understanding. The court has commented on the Sixth Amendment's unanimity requirement no fewer than 13 times over more than 120 years. 13 times they have conceded on this. It's the Sixth Amendment. It's stealing your rights and your 14th Amendment right as a citizen of the the nation. The 15th Amendment right is robbed. The 13th Amendment makes you a non-person. It doesn't say except that that slavery is abolished except for prisoners duly convicted. or uh, Rather, it doesn't say like, uh, pardon me, let me get my thoughts in order here. Basically, you hear where I'm coming from, man. This is crazy. The 13th Amendment takes away all your rights. You become a non-person. Um, so if you're looking to have a Fourth Amendment or a Sixth Amendment right, you don't get that. You've been convicted. You're right. done. You're not even a person. And then when you get out, there is nothing in this uh, language that gives you back your rights. There's no return right. to a person once you were a slave. So you have this, this shadow over your head for the rest of your life and uh, collateral consequences. And that's all I got to say at this point. That was very, right, prof- well, very profound, Max. We're we're uh, at the point where I think what we should try to do is maybe talk about the history of Jim Crow. You know, its purposes, uh, its era, allegedly, because, you know, they declared it dead. But here we are in 2020 <laughs> talking mm-hmm. about Jim Crow laws that are in, in effect right now. Uh, so I want to talk about the history of Jim Crow, what the most popular understanding of it for people is, and it really present another perspective that you and I have talked about over the past couple of weeks in regard to this. And we seem to be in agreement on it. So it should come out okay. So let's start by maybe do you want to provide some of the uh, background for Jim Crow? Or would you want me to pull up something? Some you, you know I love feeding off of you, Max. <laughs> I'm, I'm, right, well, I'm still your student. <laughs> I'm still your protege. Well, Jim Crow laws were a collection of state and local status statutes that legalized racial segregation. Named after a black minstrel show character, the laws, which existed for about 100 years from the post-Civil War era until 1968, again, they give a date of ending, 1968, were meant to marginalize African Americans by denying them their right to vote, hold jobs, get an education, or other opportunities. Those who attempted to defy Jim Crow laws often faced arrests, fines, jail sentences, violence, and death. And now that comes from history.com, and that is the prevailing understanding of Jim Crow laws, that there were laws about segregation, that you couldn't ride on the same train, you couldn't ride on the same bus 
or you had to sit in the back of the bus or the back of the train in a special car just for you. Uh, you couldn't drink from the same water fountain as the person that, uh, that was standing right next to you. You couldn't shake a white man's hand. You couldn't look a white woman in the eyes and on and on and on. These were all things that, uh, as an end result, criminalized people. So, you know, in the beginning of what I just explained as the description of Jim Crow via history.com, although they were laws meant to segregate, the final result was usually jail and fines and violence and death. You either do it, what is the saying these days, you said, comply or die. That was comply it. Or die. And the reason that they wanted to, the reason that they wanted to criminalize you as a person, and particularly black people in this country, is because right after Reconstruction, there still there was a lot of hate, and there still is a lot of hate. And during Reconstruction, they had to rebuild the South, and that was the agreement that Lincoln made with the South through that exception clause that if you criminalize them, you can take over the slave trade through the. So now, instead of being born a slave and having your children born a slave, they just go out and get as many as they need. Uh, so during the convict lease periods, which were at the height of the Jim Crow laws, people were sent to the mines, uh, to the plantations where they had previously been slaves at. Uh, they were sent in uh, to railroads, to work on the railroads, and they were literally worked to death. Recently, there was a discovery in uh, Sugarland, Texas, where a mass grave of former convict uh, leased people I think 95 of them or so were found there. Thousands have been found in New York. They're all over the place where they were working people to death in the most horrific conditions you could imagine. So although the separation of the races seemed to be their main goal, the final result was not necessarily that. The final result was the criminalization of an entire people, which continues to this day. And, you know, Americans love to fight abstract things and ideals. They, they love metaphors. They never like, like to get to the point of the source of their problems. They want to chase behind shadows. And you can see that example with the Jim Crow name itself. I mean, it's named after an actor. Here's his story. Thomas Dartmouth Rice, an actor born in New York, is considered the father of minstrelsy. After reportedly traveling to the South and observing slaves, Rice developed a black stage character called Jim Crow in 1830. With quick dance moves and exaggerated African-American vernacular and buffoonish behavior, Rice founded a new genre of racialized song and dance, black-faced minstrel shows, which became central to American entertainment in the North and South. While performers in blackface play characters that perpetuate a range of negative stereotypes about African Americans, including being lazy, ignorant, superstitious, hypersexual, criminal, or cowardly. That's the roots of the name itself. Now, what the hell does that have to do with slavery and human trafficking? Because that's what you're dealing with. So why are we calling it Jim Crow when you're being criminalized for a specific purpose? The hate was the example of the segregation. The segregation was the hate being expressed, the disgust for other human beings being expressed. But the bottom line was your ass would end up in jail. And so many of us learned how to live through that and become good Negroes and follow all the rules and do all the things that they told us to do, like like not look them in their eyes. 
personally, I'm at a stage where I'm tired of being that person, and I'm ready to stand up against this beast. You see? You touched on a lot of great things, Max. And just to go, just to show how Jim Crow still exists, you know, on Twitter yesterday, there was a, a, a post sent out by TMZ that stated Texas realtors will stop using master to describe bedrooms and bathrooms. So John Legend responded by saying, real problem. Realtors don't show black people all the properties they qualify for. Fake problem. Calling the master bedroom the master bedroom. Fix the real problem, realtors. You know, so it just goes to show that rather than getting to the root cause of things, that they want to put window dressing on a lot of things. And we know the role that Jim Crow played in redlining you know, gerrymandering districts, uh, suppressing the vote. Here we see what just happened in Kentucky last week where I believe it was 600 and something thousand people who lived in one particular county. And within that county, they closed all the polling places and had only one polling place available. Literally Mm -hmm. had people standing on line, banging on the doors. They're in line to vote. But they locked the doors on them. They were banging on the doors to get into the polling station. And the candidate that ran actually had to file an injunction with the courts and having them order the polling station to reopen the polls. You know, so these are the things that are going on. And we see it happening all over the country, gerrymandering districts, changing the voting laws, all the things when we start talking about the civil rights movement and we see many of the marches, like when they talk about Bloody Sunday, you know, that was them marching to the state courthouse because they wanted to go in a group so they can register to vote because individuals were being hung and, you know, beaten and all kinds of things by trying to go register to vote. So they figured let's go as a group. You know, so for people who like to say, oh, that's so long ago, it's over with, why can't you get over it? No, you can't get over it because it's still happening every single day, and we can give example after example after example after example. Um, One of the examples I'd like to give is an article from The Atlantic. In it, they talk about a video called Angola for Life. And I want to read a little bit about this from this article from The Atlantic. Oh, yes. Please do. Some viewers of this video might be surprised to learn that inmates at Angola, once cleared by the prison doctor, can be forced to work under threat of punishment as severe as solitary confinement. Legally, this labor may be totally uncompensated. More typically, inmates are paid meagerly, as little as two cents an hour, for their full-time work in the fields manufacturing warehouses, or kitchens. How is this legal? Didn't the 13th Amendment abolish all forms of slavery and voluntary servitude in this country? Not quite. In the shining promise of freedom that was the 13th Amendment, a sharp exception was carved out. Section 1 of the amendment provides neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as a punishment for crime, where the party has been, shall have been duly convicted shall exist with the United States or anything subject to their jurisdiction. Simply put, incarcerating, incarcerated persons have no constitutional rights in this arena, 
they can be forced to work as punishment for their crimes. Angola's farm operations and other similar prison industries of ancestral roots in the black chattel slavery of the South, specifically the proliferation of prison labor camps grew during the Reconstruction era following the Civil War, a time when southern states established large prisons throughout the region that they quickly filled, primarily with black men. Many of these prisons had very recently been slave plantations, Angola and Mississippi State Penitentiary, known as Parchman Farm, among them. Other prisons began convict leasing programs where for a leasing fee, the state would lease out the labor of incarcerated workers as hired work for crews. Convict leasing was cheaper than slavery since farm-owned and companies did not have to worry at all about the health of their workers. This new era of prison industry, the criminal justice system, the state determined the size of the workers' pool. Scores of recently freed slaves and their descendants now labored to generate revenue for the state under a Jim Crow regimen. And that is what Jim Crow was all about, right there. Yusuf? Yeah, Max, you know, and when we look at, you know, I like looking into the courts to see how the courts dealt with things. And one of the cases that really set the foundation of segregation was the Plessy versus Ferguson ruling in 1896. And that remained the law until the Brown versus Board of Education in 1964. So we're talking, I'm sorry, 1954. So we're talking 58 years. I'm 51 years old, Max. So that means in my lifetime, I would have had to have lived under segregation, and I still would have seven more years before it's not even on, it's not even legal any longer on the books, what's written on the books. We're not even talking about what's practiced by the people, but what's written, what's codified in the law. 58 years between Plessy versus Ferguson and in, in, 19, in 1896 and Brown versus Board of Education in 1954. And then we went another 10 years before the Civil Rights Act was signed and another year before the voting rights was signed. And then we know what came on the heels of that. Right on the heels of that came Nixon's war on drugs. Mm-hmm. Then a decade later came Reagan's uh, uh, I always forget what it's called off the top of my head. Criminal something, but we had that. And he then behind that came private prisons. Right. He, he, then we had private prisons. Go ahead, sorry. Absolutely. I just I just always neglect to recall the name of that bill. And I'm 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 gonna make sure moving forward that I never forget the name of that bill again. Comprehensive Crime Control Act of 1984. That's what it was called. The CCC. Comprehensive Crime Control Act of 1984. Isn't that weird that the company that really launched for-profit prisons was CCA? And you're talking about the act was the CCCA? (laughs) Right. Deliberate. Mm -hmm. Deliberate. So... 
one book that I uh, I would like to suggest. Um, you know, we have many books we can suggest, but for our, for our listeners, you know, if you can get your hands on The Color of Law, the book is called The Color of Law, and it details how U.S. housing policies created segregation because that was one of the, the first attacks that they did is segregating the schools and then the housing. And you know, once you do that, that basically covers everything. You have nowhere to live and nowhere to go to school. So it's definitely um, an interesting read. Did on you say something, YouTube page, Yes, on our YouTube page, which is youtube.com slash abolition today, we have a playlist called Recommended Viewing. Um, you can find a lot of stuff about Jim Crow there. I highly uh, suggest Jim Crow of the North, the full-length documentary. Uh, check that out. And if you really want to have an expansive knowledge of the circumstances in a broader picture, check out Human Zoos, America's Forgotten History of Scientific Racism. Because at the same time that we were having this Jim Crow issue, they were calling us monkeys and say that we were the closest thing to orangutans. And they had an uh, agenda that they put together of eugenics with all white scientists using their newly found racial science, uh, scientific racism in order to determine who should live and who should die. Uh, one of the right. forebears of people like uh, Margaret Sanger. So definitely check out and, those two combinations. So you know this is what happened at that time. And when you're talking about, you know, eugenics and you know Cole Harbor, you're talking about the two grandfathers of George W. Bush. You're talking about Prescott Bush and George Walker. Yep, that's right. His that's grandfathers. Right. You know, We've been dealing with this problem a long time, and it keeps coming back like clockwork. History, and it goes to the highest levels of government. Mm-hmm. Highest levels. Well, speaking of stuff coming back uh, like clockwork, uh, and history being a synonym, I want to take a music break, uh, introduce a track to our, our fam here, and when we come back, we're going to have hopefully Rebecca Hensley online, and she'll talk to us further about what's happening now in Louisiana with the 10 to uh, appeal for retroactivity. Uh, I want the song I'm going to play is from the compound effect album. And it's called Jim Crow's back by Louisiana native Moochie Dickey, my man out there. He's in Tennessee right now, but shout out to Moochie Dickey. We'll be right back. Yeah, big shout out to Moochie. Jim Crow's Country getting too black, too much brown around. They trying to round up they stacks to tear the president down. They steady twisting the facts. They spending billions of dollars. They want that oil in Iraq. They want the gold in Ghana, diamonds in Botswana. They say it ain't racism, it's apple pie Americana. It's that money and power, skyscrapers and towers, dividend stocks, tickets, mention niggas every hour. Keeping you nervous, the government don't service them. Red state Republicans got that economic. 
murder To poke it and broker CCA calling they broker Making trades for the slaves Slave trade ain't over They incarcerated Cause they need that cheap labor Make they self look like saviors On they TV in they paper Plantation here to take it for your life Break your wife Record labels got these rappers Genociding on the mic Situation is scary. Paying brass for the camera. Trying to win the primary. Need a dollar for the holler. Cause I bet he own that powder. This is 2015. Watch the pagans pray louder. Yeah, they pockets is deeper. Cause corporations are people. Now let me find me a host. So I can INC her and get the pep in my policy. I want some monopoly. I can buy some politicians and get tax free sodomy. Fucking the masses of lower colors and classes. Cutting budgets for classes. Minimum wages for our asses. O'Reilly got that cynicism. Back up on the television. Telling all the clones how they need to make informed decisions. Murder media. He's feeding Wikipedia. iPhone make it speedier. The cheap people believe in them. Saw people stuck inside. Up the digital divide. But he still beat us down and run us over with they ride. Abolition today, you just heard Jim Crow's back from Moochie Dicky. Uh, that's hot, man. That was hot. Jim Crow was definitely back. was. Man, he was he was laying down the science of it all. Uh, him and I have had some deep conversations about this, and he follows a lot of our work. So, listening right now, I'm pretty sure. So, shout out to my brother Moochie Dicky. Thank you for your contribution to the program tonight. All right. Um, I'm looking at the telephone line, and I see a hand up. I'm hoping that is uh, Rebecca Hensley. So I'm going to no. Um, Rebecca is the mm-hmm. Rebecca is the nine eight five number at the bottom. Now, oh, okay, I see. So I'm going to unmute you. Uh, if your hand is up, six four six. After we talk with Rebecca Hensley, we'll try to bring you on if time allows. So hold on, uh, Rebecca. Welcome to Abolition Today. I know all of this was last minute. You know, I feel you on it, and I'm happy that you're here uh, so we can help these brothers get some attention to what's going on. So welcome to Abolition Today. Thank you, Max. It's a pleasure to be with you and to be with you, and It's really an honor because this has been a heck of a show already. And, uh, Thank you. and it Thank really you. means I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I know that guys appreciate it. And, um, and so I'm very happy to be here and to add what I've learned, uh, a lot of it from them. Um, I should tell you, uh, well, I don't even know where to start. Very exciting. Where would you like me to start? Want me to tell you well, how I got here? 
Um, yeah, you know, we got about ten minutes that we could we could cover. So, all right, whatever you think yeah, is going I'll to just, make a difference in people's eyes and ears and hearts, we need to make this change now. And you know it better than I do. I'm just finding out about this. So you've been in this battle right. for a while. And you all know right. who else has. So there you go. It's been a minute. <clears throat> well, I just want to say this. I I've been doing prison abolition work for nearly fifty years. And uh, I came to Louisiana 13 years ago uh, to teach, and I have just quit my day job so that I can do prison abolition full-time again. And I've done that because I've been so inspired by what's going on in Louisiana. Uh, You've made the point clearly that Louisiana is the capital of mass incarceration, and it has more people incarcerated per capita than any other group of humans ever have on the face of the earth. Uh, so, so for the first five years I was here, I kept wondering how I, why I got here and why I had to stay. And then I started thinking about all my background in prison abolition, and I thought, where better? So I just want to underscore a few things that you already brought up. Uh, and, and one of them is that that the the Ramos decision, well, no, let's go back to the proposal two years ago to add it to the law. And you were talking about changing laws all over the country to put in the language about doing away with slavery, period, state by state, which is a completely reasonable idea. Since, since Louisiana took on this... Um, this 10-2 thing after 120 years of having it. I mean, when you, you know, I just recently realized that Louisiana was a territory in 1803, and at that time they had unanimous juries. That was the law in Louisiana in the territory. And when it became a state in 1812, that was still the law in Louisiana. It wasn't until 95 years later in 1898 that it became acceptable to send people to prison with a non-unanimous jury. So for 95 years, Louisiana was doing it right. And then they said, we want to create and, and maintain and support Jim Crow by doing this. They were very clear about it. And it stayed like that for 120 years. So when it was, it was addressed the first time statewide, two years before it was passed in 2018, it failed, failed in 2016. And what happened was the people of Louisiana stood up and they worked their butts off. And when you talk, you've been talking about how we can actually make a difference in a lot of ways. Well, the work that went into that proposition went all the way from from kids in high school all the way out to little old ladies and and organized uh, speeches and campaigns and T-shirts and you name it. And that time it won. That's what started the ball rolling, was that kind of work. It's, it's, it, it, it wasn't all just go out in the streets with pickets 
it was a lot of sending out emails and sending and, and calling people, doing that sort of work. And that's then what happened when Ramos went to the Supreme Court. It was about appealing that. Some people still wanted to roll it back. And it wound up in the Supreme Court. That was the 24th case that went to court about that, that went to the Supreme Court about that. That was the 24th time that one lawyer had tried to go in. And that time, even Clarence Thomas, I could not believe this, even Clarence (laughs) Thomas voted yes. I thought I was mistaken. I had to read it over and over looking for his name, thinking, well, maybe there's two of them, two Thomases, you know. I just couldn't believe that he had voted (laughs) yes, given his record. But even he voted yes on it. And two weeks later, they turned around and said they they intended to hear a case called Edwards versus Louisiana that actually raises the issue of, non-unanimous juries based on racial discrimination. And, and so it's jumping out there and saying we have to go retroactive because of the racial issue. Louisiana, like our friend from inside Angola, who I work with a lot, um, like he said, there is a case in the, in the Louisiana Supreme Court right now that should have accepted that premise, the racial discrimination, therefore meaning that there should be retroactive. And, and it, you know, it, in the grand scheme of things, that I'm learning so much about the law, about the way legalities work. The United States Supreme Court was actually sending a signal, it is said, to the Louisiana State Supreme Court to go ahead and address this issue at the state level and not to force the U.S. Supreme Court to make them, make the state do the right thing. Mm. Because when Ramos uh, agreed, they said that the argument the state brought was, well, if you bring this up, it's going to have so many cases, it'll be a burden on the state. And the U.S. Mm -hmm. Supreme Court said more or less, well, you should have thought of that before you did this stupid thing for 120 years. Right. So now they've sent this signal by by saying only two weeks after they made it uh, a ruling in the favor of the defendant or the plaintiff, um, They two weeks later they said they would look at it. That was Louisiana's opportunity to do something. Now they're it's unclear whether they're going to finally buckle and do something or not, but Promise of Justice Initiative is trying to encourage that and trying to do what they can do to, to make that happen at the state level and get it over with. Either way, it's almost unquestionable that this is going to happen, but it took a lot of work. So right now, the guys inside Angola are raising money for T-shirts that will say it only took 10 or say leave no one behind, 120 years is enough, you know, things like that. They have a fundraiser uh, out in New Mexico. That's why they were talking about that. 
um, they're, they're, they've got restaurant, a restaurant helping them to create uh, funding streams. There's a, go, a GoFundMe on, um, online that, um, that says support the men inside Angola. And it's for this, this kind of project and campaign from inside. But this is going on on the outside, too. And, and that's what we can do also with the, um, with the 13th Amendment moving it from state to state and throughout the country instead of waiting always to do it at the federal level. I think that's a really exciting and really important uh, thing for us to understand that it takes a lot of grunt work. It really does. And, but you can win. And that's the hope. That's the hope that we can have, that, that we actually don't have to live in Jim Crow forever. We don't have to accept that it's just the way it's always been or, or that uh, for whatever reason, for whatever reason. Um, I just, um, I'm really grateful to have this opportunity to bring this out because I just want to encourage the listeners to, to realize that it, you don't have to be a hero to just make a phone call or just tell somebody about it or just go volunteer with a group that is trying to do something. In Louisiana, I, uh, about 15 months ago, some of the people inside and a few of the people I know started a group called Louisiana Network for Criminal Justice Transformation. And, and we did that because we saw a need to build a bridge between the inside and the outside, to be able to reach out to each other and to uh, encourage each other and to provide the services, whatever those are, because they can be a whole range of things, but they are primarily about developing community, uh, both inside and outside, and then putting a bridge between those because we've been apart too long. Thank you so much for uh, explaining that to us. There were some things that you did mention that kind of stood out for me. <clears throat> the first one uh, was the date that you said uh, that you informed us that they decided to ratify this 10 and 2 split uh, jury decision. It was 1888, right? Or you know what happened in 1888? 1898. 1898. Okay, so that was right. how long after Reconstruction was that? Uh, Less than two decades? Well, that's a good point. That's a very good point. Mm-hmm. See, this that's exactly what produced it. Because all right. those years, that unanimous jury was the law in Louisiana. It wasn't until after Reconstruction or, or it was an attempt to bring Reconstruction to, to a close, right? It's the same basic time period that Plessy v. Ferguson, uh, mm-hmm. you know, occurred because mm-hmm. it was a desire to mitigate and, and, and um, undermine the possibility, even the possibility that people of African descent should be full citizens in the land of their own birth. 
And uh, so, so at that moment, 1898, they have this constitutional convention and they say, you know, mm-hmm. these black people are getting troublesome and we need to neutralize them. And one way to do it is to make sure that they go to prison without necessarily being guilty. I think we need to really underscore all the time that the 13th Amendment says duly convicted of a crime. It does not say guilty. You don't have to be guilty to be duly convicted of a crime. And by making the the 10-2 or the 11-1 jury adequate to send a person to prison even for life without parole, that that was part of that process of undermining the ability for uh, for innocent people to be to remain free, at least if not free in the sense of we should all be a lot freer than we are, uh, given the way we're in a very oppressive situation. But black people in particular, specifically, uh, had a right to expect that, and so it was. The, the not only the attempt, but the successful completion of that process mm-hmm. to collapse that from going forward, this was part of it. And it stayed in place right up to 2019. So, and, and I can't say enough about the fact that it failed just two years before. It's really important for us to understand how close we are. Mm-hmm. This is not, we're not talking about... You know, before the Civil War, we're talking about two years ago. You know, uh-huh. so so here we are, and we can fight our battle, collapse Jim Crow. I love the eat Jim Crow thing. I don't know if I could get uh-huh. it down, but it you know it's it's a <laughs> it's a catchy phrase. I can see it on a T-shirt. Um, when, when I think of that, I think of the image that is in the video we put out uh, where the eagle is walking up the flag saying, I want my seat back to the crow sitting right. on top. <laughs> right. You know, you're about to eat that it. up. Yes. And that's where we at. Uh, I, I am so appreciative of the many people and hours and work that was put into this. We shared a video just on our page at Abolition Today which shows some of it. We also put together one of our own where we highlighted those T-shirts, by the way, and it showed how much work uh, was put in this, the ripple effects that one life can have on this big fight we're all in. And things are happening so quickly, Rebecca. I'm glad to stand beside you in this fight. You know, we just introduced the first presidential candidate standing on an abolitionist platform since Abe Lincoln. We just abolished slavery. In Colorado, the first state to do so in 377 years. Uh, We got rid of the Jim Crow laws not being retroactive, but we did get rid of them to a large degree. We also got the rights back for felons to vote in Florida, uh, even though they're still being held back. Absolutely. Uh, So the fight is happening all over the country, and it's happening quickly. Uh, So I'm hoping that freedom comes soon, (laughs) especially for these brothers that are suffering every day. Uh, I want to say Absolutely. thank you for participating in this and giving the opportunity Absolutely. to offer any final comments or any uh, website links that you might want the people to visit. Um, y- yes, I have a blog on race 
and mass incarceration called Why Am I Not Surprised? Um, I have, we have uh, our, our uh, criminal justice transformation uh, website is, is, has a placeholder up and it's CJ, www.cjtransformation.org. Uh, we have a family group on Facebook uh, that is the network to support incarcerated citizens. Uh, we're just moving out in every imaginable direction. Anything we can do to bring this to uh, to the mind of people who have been waiting so long, uh, not only to be free, but to work to be free. You know, people have um, have have not known how to go forward, and we're trying to find new ways to do that. And social media is a very important one. And the work that you two are doing with uh, Abolition Today is, is so exciting. You know, 48 years ago when I was doing this work um, in other places, we had no social media. We had no – we didn't even have cell phones. We didn't even have – we didn't even have copy machines. I mean, it was Neanderthal, you know, and we were trying to do the work and people were dying inside and we were winning court cases, but it was slow, slow going, terrible, slow going. And if we had had any idea that it could come to this, and if I had known that I could still be a part of this, I it would have meant so much, but here we are. Here we are, and thank you for the work that you're doing. I look forward to hearing you every every week now. Thank you so much, Rebecca. Thank you. I'd like to bring you back on the program at a future date. Uh, there were some words that you were using that I'd like to talk to you about, words like mass incarceration, uh, for instance, and maybe uh, – well, we'll talk about it at another day. I definitely want to bring you back on because you have so much knowledge and experience that I want to tap into, if you don't mind. It would be an honor. I, I would love All right. Thank, thank you. you. Uh, please continue to listen to the program. We are certainly not done yet, uh, but uh, we still have a few more stories to cover, so I'm going to put you on mute for now. Um, and uh, so please continue to listen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, that was awesome there, brother. Uh, that was awesome there, brother Yusuf. Uh, so appreciative of the work that uh, people are doing. This is why I always say it only takes one person to make a difference, and that person is you. <laughs> and change starts right. in your mind. When you change your mind, you change your actions. It's really just that simple. And, but if you continue running around thinking the same old wrong thoughts, you're going to keep doing the same old wrong things. You've got so many people right now that look at the prison systems and act like there's nobody there. They skip over that whole thing. If you don't get killed by the cops and become famous, and uh, or, or if you don't do something that causes you to get attention, you get swallowed up by the system and you're forgotten. And when people mention those behind bars, we often hear comments like, don't do the crime if you can't do the time. We're talking about people that didn't do any crimes, right? We, as a people in America, tend to adopt this crazy idea that America would not commit slavery and genocide. No, they wouldn't do that. No, uh-uh. 
that's where we're at on it, and that's ridiculous. Is it? Yeah, man. Uh, it's 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 really crazy because I have those conversations so many times. You know, I even have people that ask me, "Well, why do you care so much?" <laughs> you know, and that's the one that really gets me most of the time. Why do I care so much? You know, and I'm always telling mm-hmm. them, you know, at the blink of an eye, I could be gunned down in the middle of the street and become a hashtag, or I can end up in a prison somewhere. And forgotten. You know, yeah, quickly, just that quickly. Mm-hmm. I don't care how how square of a person is, how law-abiding they are. With the current laws written, anyone, this can happen to anyone at any given moment. Anyone. Anyone. And we've and seen it time and again. We've seen it you're time and again. I mean, parent. yeah, Henry Louis Gates trying to get into his house. He ends up getting arrested. You know, we can, we can name so many, you know, of people just doing the right thing. You know, a college professor went to get a cup of coffee on his way back on campus. He ends up in handcuffs on the ground. You know, it just happens time and again. Did you say something, Matt? Can I do it? Yeah. Can can I take 30 seconds here? Hold on. Please, brother, please do it. Sorry, brother, but you just inspired. I had to do it. I had to do it. None of us are free. If one of us changes, I mean, that's it right there. There's no formula to protect you. You know, there's no protection. Yeah, the formula. You can do everything right and still end up in a grave or behind bars. Exactly. And as he says, as Solomon Burke says in the lyrics. Yeah, Solomon Burke says in the lyrics, "It's a simple truth we all need." It's the hearing to see. None of us are free. If one of us is chained, none of us are free. None of us. I mean, come on. None of us. With with the Jim Crow laws and the hate towards people of color, they have managed to convince the population that we deserve this, that somehow we're so bad that if we're in a box, we must have did something wrong because what? We all come from orangutans, right? And we, we're, what did uh, Joe Biden say about us? We've never been socialized. <laughs> he, right. You know, which is a full word for civilized. We've never been civilized, Joe Biden. Uh, this is how they view us. And the moment you mention prison or jail, suddenly you're persona non grata. No matter what happened. Now you got there, it doesn't matter. You're there, that means you're a bad person. Meanwhile, they're letting out the man who sent children to a for-profit prison as property for kickbacks. A judge who right. betrayed his oath and everything else. He gets out. Um, it's terrible, man. There's, there's a couple of things that they want to cover before the end of our evening real quick, Yusuf. And I know you have mm-hmm. this one or two as well. One for me was the plea from the Floyd family. 
and as many as 600 other groups to have the U.S. address systemic racism in the United States. And from what I've been reading, uh, this is something that they have already decided to do. came out of Geneva saying the top U.N. human rights body agreed on Monday to hold urgent debate on allegations of systemic racism, police brutality, and violence against peaceful protests in the United States and elsewhere on Wednesday. Oh, that's all well and good, but you can't have this conversation without including the 13th Amendment in it. If you do, your ass should not be in the conversation because you don't understand the whole picture. So if you're not talking about the right. 13th Amendment in this, then you shouldn't have that conversation. But I feel, and I think you agree, that it is extremely important that the world discuss what's happening here in the United States through the 13th Amendment and with the biggest prison population to ever have been seen on planet Earth, where one single state like California has seven times the number of prisoners that Iran has. Right. So and that's I think it's an something that we've been speaking of. Yeah, we've been speaking of this for a while, Max, that this is going to have to be outside of the realm of U.S. courts because they're the defendant in the case. So right. we can't and, and really like, expect to get – I'm sorry? Go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry. I was to just say, <laughs> it's okay, man. It's okay. We just can't expect to get the proper relief when they're the culprits. You know, they're the gatekeepers. And look, look at what Rebecca just told us: thirty-four times. Twenty-four times. And yeah. two went to the went to the U.S. Supreme Court, and finally, it got through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we man. fall down, but we get, we are relentless in this mission, and we have to be. People's lives depend on it. They depend on what we're talking about right here, right now, like literally, you know. So yeah, I, I'm a co-sign with the United Nations addressing this with a caveat that there has to be an abolitionist representative on this discussion. If it's not, there's just some fakeness that I don't want no parts of. Because uh, you can't right. have this discussion use the wrong terminology and address the issue in ways that it should not be addressed. A mistake is one thing. When you're doing it on purpose, that is a crime, and they cannot be presented with the same arguments. That's, that's, that's all I'm saying. You had some things you wanted to cover as well, right? Yeah, I, I, got, thrown, I got a little thrown off with the power outage that I got. Did we did we, we cover the qualified five. immunity? I don't even remember. No, we didn't, and we got about five minutes. Before we got to be on our next part. So whatever we can cover in five minutes, go yours. Okay, well I just want to mention that one that, and it's the article that's entitled "California to Strip Its Police Force of Qualified Immunity." Countless officers discussing desi- uh, resigning. So for those who aren't familiar with qualified immunity, this is basically what protects officers. So when you have an officer, quote, unquote, doing his job and he violates someone's civil or constitutional rights and, you know, we're talking brutality, false arrest, you know, killing them, the state basically covers them. And so therefore you have to take the case to the federal courts. 
You can only go into federal court, and the state is protecting him. Well, you remove that qualified immunity. Now the officer himself is is responsible for it. He's responsible for any verdict against him when it comes to, you know, uh, financial penalties, and it also puts him at, and it, it basically puts him on the level ground of a regular citizen being arrested and charged for the same uh, crime. So that's what the qualified immunity does. And of course, you have these officers talking about they want to resign because they're not protected because they want to go out there and violate people's rights. It's it's part of the job they, that they love doing, you know. But uh, since we're short on time, I'm not going to go further into it. It's just something that we can keep an, out, keep an eye out for to see how far that actually goes and if other states start following suits, Matt. Thank you, brother. I also want people yeah. to, if you hear me out there in Wilmington, North Carolina, please don't stop with firing these policemen. You need to check out their history because they've probably already killed somebody. And there's probably people sitting in a prison right now because of them that shouldn't be there. And probably some widow or somebody's father is dead behind them. You need to check mm-hmm. that out. People don't uh, don't uh, start their career of racism the day you found out they were a racist. They don't become a genocidal maniac the day you found out. And there was a history that led up to that. So please check it out. Um, I would like to come to a summation of our program tonight. Uh, we kind of showed you very clearly uh, how Jim Crow laws are still in place today. So the idea that they ended in 68 or whatever the date may be is really not relevant at this point. It's happening. And it's still being applied. And it's 14 states trying to get in on the ticket because they want to prosecute people and convict them for life sentences on split verdicts. Uh, we cannot allow this to happen, and we have to act now in order to get these brothers their freedom uh, for from the slavery that they've been subject to on a freaking slave plantation, like a real slave plantation named Angola, a nation where those slaves originally came from. Probably some Angolans on that plantation today, ancestors or children of the, the, the ancestors. So we've got to act now. Um, I also presented a different perspective that the Jim Crow laws that we suffered then and that we suffer now, their primary focus was not simply discrimination, not simply separate but, in, but equal, but primarily to incarcerate us, to use us as free labor, which they did all the way up till today. <laughs> but they've got a new trick now, and their new trick is they don't necessarily have to work you anymore. Now they just treat you like a slab of meat on a shelf. And if you're laying on that bed, you are worth X amount of dollars a year. And if you're being fed, like the sheriffs we have exposed here on this show, they will steal that money to feed you, buy themselves a condo worth $700,000, and then give you bread and water for the rest of your life. So these are things that are happening through the Jim Crow laws. Remember, Jim Crow laws were punishable, and it's the punishment part that we tend to forget about. Yusuf? Wow, you said a mouthful there, Max. You know, you really did. And there's not much to add to that because you 
you nailed it on on every aspect of it. So I don't even want to be redundant on it. I I seal <laughs> it with that. Yeah, I seal it with that. There's nothing more to say to it. All right, man. Well, I hope in my heart that the brothers we represented today are very happy with what we tried to provide for them and satisfied with the story we told and the narratives that we presented on their behalf. And I pray for the day that all of us are free, because as long as one of us is in chains, none of us are free. None of us are so free. So you said, let's Amen go ahead and get, get to our final comments for the e- or final quotes for the evening, and then you'll be introducing our last segment, which is, of course, the Bridging the Gap segment, which seems to get better and better every week, man. It's, I feel like we're sitting at the knees of the griots listening to the stories. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Generations to do it. You got Ozzy Davis reading Frederick Douglass with some modern music and, and spoken word artists right behind it to bring it all together as one package. It, it, it's magical, man. And today is uh, something else. <laughs> all right, so you want to uh, do your quote, and then I'll do mine, and then go into the last Yeah, one. absolutely. So here's my quote for the week. It's short, but it's so concise. You can't get over something that is still happening which is why black Americans can't get over slavery or Jim Crow. And that's from Ijeoma Aldua from her book, So You Want to Talk About Race. Powerful. All right, uh, I'm rolling with Frederick Douglass again. <laughs> and he said, Why not? <laughs> when the accursed, right, exactly. When the accursed slave system shall once be abolished and the Negro long cast out from the human family and governed like a beast of burden, shall be gathered under the divine government of justice, liberty, and humanity, men will be ashamed to remember that they were ever deluded by the flimsy nonsense which they have allowed themselves to urge against the freedom of the long-enslaved millions of our land. That day is not far off. What should be done with the slaves is emancipated. By Frederick Douglass, January 1862. My name is Max Parthas. You could have been anywhere, but you came here to hear us tonight. Thank you. Please share the program. This is an educational program and inspirational, so please share it. If you want to check out any of the music that we played here, go to our YouTube page, youtube.com slash abolition today, and look under the playlist, Abolition Music. Thank you to our guest caller, Rebecca Hensley. We appreciate you, my sister. God bless. And God bless to the brothers outside. See you next week. And you want to cover the sponsors? Do you have time for that, Max? Did I lose him? Max, you still there? Yes. Let's do that, brother. You can handle that. Okay. Yeah, we just want to give a shout-out to all of our mentors and sponsors for the program. That's Jailhouse Lawyer Speak the I Am We Ubuntu Prison Advocacy Network, SEMA, uh, URG, that's the Quakers, Uplifting Racial Justice, the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center, Prismatic Dreams, and Punks for Progress. We're going to enter into our final segment, which is Part 15 this week. I erroneously mentioned Part 15 last week. This is actually Part 15 in our Bridging the Gap series. This one is entitled Treachery, Trickery, and War, which is 
Ozzie Davis reads Frederick Douglass. And it's going to be followed by All Power to the People by Abel Terry featuring C. Ricardo. We'll be back July 5th, one day after the next lingering lie about freedom from slavery on our national calendars. As Frederick Douglass asks, what to the slave is 4th of July? Check out our Facebook page, Abolition Today, to hear that speech recited by James Earl Jones. Remember to subscribe to our YouTube page for all the news, information, and music you hear on this program. That's at youtube.com slash abolition today. Archives of all of our programs can be listened to by visiting abolitiontoday.org. Until next week, think about abolition today. Peace and blessings be upon you all. Thank you for listening. Peace. Abolition. Abolition. The 1st of January, 1863, was a memorable day in the progress of American liberty and civilization. It was the turning point in the conflict between freedom and slavery. A death blow was then given to the slaveholding rebellion. And now, on this first day of January, 1863, the formal and solemn announcement was made that thereafter the government would be found on the side of emancipation. The Emancipation Proclamation changed everything. It gave a new direction to the councils of the cabinet and to the conduct of the national arms. As I studied the proclamation more carefully, it became clear to me that it was extremely defective. Its operations were confined within certain geographical and military lines. It only abolished slavery where it did not exist and left it intact where it did exist. Nevertheless, I took the proclamation first and last for a little more than it purported and saw in its spirit life and power far beyond its letters. Its meaning to me was the entire abolition of slavery, wherever the evil could be reached by the federal arm, and I saw that its moral power would extend much further. It was, in my estimation, an immense gain to have the war for the Union committed to the extinction of slavery, even from a military necessity. On January 20, 1863, Governor John A. Andrew of Massachusetts received permission from Mr. Lincoln to raise two colored regiments, the 54th and 55th. Immediately I wrote my call, Men of Color to Arms, addressed to the colored citizens of the North. It appeared in my paper and was published in the leading journals, I concluded on the following note. The chance is now given you to end in a day the bondage of centuries and to rise in one bound from social degradation to the plane of common equality with all other varieties of men. Remember Denmark Vesey of Charlestown. Remember Nathaniel Turner of Southampton. Remember Shields Green in Copeland who followed noble John Brown and fell as glorious martyrs for the cause of the slave. Remember that in a contest with oppression, the Almighty has no attributes which can take sides with the oppressors. The case is before you. This is our golden opportunity. Let us accept it and forever wipe out the dark reproaches unsparingly hurled against us by our enemies. Let us win for ourselves the gratitude of our country and the blessings of our posterity through all time. The raising of these two regiments, the 54th and 55th, and their splendid behavior in South and North Carolina was the beginning of good things for the colored people of the whole country. And not the least satisfaction I now have in contemplating my humble part in raising them 
is the fact that my two sons, Charles and Louis, were the two first in the state of New York to enlist in them. I continued to assist in raising regiments of Negro soldiers, using every argument of which I was capable to persuade every colored man able to bear arms to rally around the flag and help save the country and save the race. But the attitude of the government at Washington caused me deep sadness and discouragement and forced me in a measure to suspend my efforts in that direction. I had assured colored men that once in the Union Army they would be paid upon an equal footing with other soldiers, that they would be paid, promoted, and exchanged as prisoners of war, but thus far the government had not kept its promise, nor the promise made for it. You want my dollars to flourish the land, but still treat me like three-fifths of a man. Help me understand, you pussy, never been known to gain the upper hand. That's why it's so easy for you to kill a man. The pipes is busted, pressure and tip the scale. Either give us heaven on earth, or we'll all live in hell.
I want some respect. So what I sold a loose in and one of my homies. But that won't be the reason I won't make it home. See, you played this game many times before. It won't be me leaking out on this floor. I got a whole family and I know they need me. So if I gotta die, then I'm taking you with me. Put your fucking knee up off of my neck. I ain't gonna resist, but I want some respect. So what I sold a loose in and one of my homies. But that won't be the reason I won't make it home. See, you played this game many times before. It won't be me leaking out of that floor. I got a whole family and I know they need me. So if I gotta die, then I'm taking you with me. Abolition. Abolition. Today. Abolition. 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 Ab